Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcasts at home is quite easy. You could use the shortwave radio at the schedule of English language broadcast, or it's simpler to use a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You could listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from NHK World Radio Japan, France 24, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, and Radio Havana Cuba. We will begin with NHK World Radio Japan. The Japanese government asked the fishing industry what they think about dumping radioactive waste into the Pacific Ocean. Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida thanked European Union leaders who are removing import restrictions on some food products from the Fukushima region. He also attended the NATO summit, but the plan to create a NATO office in Japan was ultimately rejected. North Korea warned the U.S. to cease reconnaissance flights over their territory. NHK Japan The Japanese government has again asked for the understanding of local fishers for the planned release of treated and diluted water from the crippled Fukushima Daiichi nuclear plant into the ocean. Water used to cool molten nuclear fuel at the plant mixes with rain and groundwater. The accumulated water is treated to remove most radioactive substances, but it still contains tritium. The government plans to dilute the water to reduce tritium levels to about one-seventh of the World Health Organization's standard for drinking water quality. Japan's industry minister Nishimura Yastoshi met on Tuesday with representatives of the local fishing industry. We are basically opposed to the release of treated water into the sea. The government needs to give sufficient explanation to Federation members. The International Atomic Energy Agency is committed to securing safety of the release. It's important to keep inspecting the procedures to ensure safety and prevent reputational damage. Attendees said the IAEA's monitoring will be crucial to maintaining their livelihoods. They urged the government to sufficiently explain to consumers the safety of the release. Now, China is opposed to the plan, and Hong Kong's leader says he'll ban many sea products from Japan if the country goes ahead with the release. I can tell you that uh, the action we will take if the uh, exercise really starts is that we'll be banning uh, a large number of prefectures sea products beyond, of course, the present scale. Since the nuclear accident in 2011, Hong Kong's government has required radiation screening certificates issued by a Japanese government body for marine products from Fukushima and four nearby prefectures. Hong Kong is a major purchaser of Japanese farm and sea products. 
The survey also asked respondents how they felt about Japan's plan to release treated and diluted water from the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear plant into the ocean. 35% of respondents said they approved the release, while 20% were against it. 40% could not decide. Japanese Prime Minister Kishida Fumio has wrapped up his tour of Europe by holding talks with the leaders of the European Union, and he's got the green light he wanted. The EU is ending its decade of import controls on some food products from parts of Japan, including Fukushima. We agreed to lift the remaining restrictive import measures that were linked to the Fukushima accident. We have taken this decision based on science, and based on the proof of evidence and based on the assessment of the International Atomic Energy Agency. The EU tightened rules after the triple meltdown at the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear plant in 2011. Certain food items produced in Fukushima and nine other prefectures have to undergo extra screening for radioactive contamination. They include some seafood and edible wild plants. Kishida and the EU leaders also discussed closer security cooperation. Especially in the present severe security situation, Japan welcomes the fact that the EU is stepping up its commitment to the Indo-Pacific. Japan and the EU will launch strategic dialogue at the foreign ministerial level and further strengthen cooperation in a wide range of fields, including security. Kishida and the EU leaders also agreed to enhance cooperation on cybersecurity and satellite surveillance. And earlier in his tour, Kishida visited Lithuania for the NATO summit. He and the leaders of the alliance vowed they'll work closer than ever on defense cooperation. But a liaison office in Japan may have been a step too far. That proposal was left out of the summit's joint communique. NATO Secretary-General Jens Stoltenberg revealed in May the alliance had been holding talks with the Japanese government on setting up an office, citing the need to boost ties with Indo-Pacific countries. But French President Emmanuel Macron is opposed to the plan. Whichever way you look at it, geography can be stubborn. The Indo-Pacific is not the North Atlantic. Therefore, we must not give the impression that NATO is somehow looking to build up a legitimacy or presence geographically in other regions. Macron said it's necessary to coordinate and remain in close contact with Japan, but to not expand the potential area of conflict. He said it's possible to maintain partnerships with countries in the Indo-Pacific without having offices in the region. Now, for his part, Stoltenberg said the issue is still on the table and will be further considered in the future. The sister of North Korean leader Kim Jong-un says the United States will face grave consequences if it continues to stage reconnaissance flights over the North economic zone. In a statement released Tuesday, Kim Yo-jong alleged that a U.S. spy plane illegally intruded into North Korea's economic water zone eight times the day before. She said that in the, ca- in the case of uh, repeated illegal intrusions, U.S. forces will experience what she calls a very critical flight. The statement also alleged that the U.S. is using the flight to carry out aerial espionage. It's the second official warning by Kim Yo-jong this week.
South Korea's Yonhap News reports that Pyongyang may be trying to raise tensions to justify further provocation. This comes ahead of the 70th anniversary of the Korean War Armistice on July 27th, and what North Korea calls it victory over the United States. Those reports are from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. at 9.865 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. They also podcast at most sites. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. Next, France 24. First, British and Ukrainian press reviews on the NATO summit. Joe Biden approved supplying cluster bombs to Ukrainian forces, creating condemnation from Cambodia, Canada, Spain, and many other nations. An analysis of the controversy which has created a split among U.S. allies. France 24. Alison Sargent is joining us. She's starting with reactions uh, to the uh, NATO summit, Alison. Yeah, that NATO summit wrapped up without Ukraine getting what it wanted, a timeline for joining NATO. So we can take a look on the front page of The the Guardian next. They are saying not only, you know, did Zelensky not get a timeline for Ukraine to join NATO, he was also sort of put back in place by comments um, from both British and U.S. officials saying that he should be showing a bit more gratitude at the U.K.'s defense secretary, even saying that Ukraine was treating allies as if they were an Amazon warehouse. Now, The Guardian writes uh, that those unscripted comments uh, appeared to prompt a change of tack from Zelensky. Still, though, uh, the overall view from Kyiv about about this NATO summit uh, is pretty negative. Uh, this op-ed from the Kyiv Post says that the Vilnius summit debacle exposes first and second class NATO members. Uh, one example the paper gives is when a probable Russian missile landed in northern Poland back in December. They ask, would there still be no response from NATO if a similar missile had landed in Germany? Uh, the overall message really here from the Kyiv Post is that like Ukraine, uh, Eastern Europe needs more from NATO than simply verbal assurances. Cambodia speaks out over the U.S. decision to supply cluster munitions to Ukraine. The nation is still contaminated by cluster bombs used by the U.S. during the Vietnam War. And Prime Minister Hun Sen urged the U.S. to learn from its past. It would be the greatest danger for Ukrainians for many years, or up to 100 years, if cluster bombs are used in Russian-occupied areas in the territory of Ukraine. The controversial bombs have a deadly legacy. Unexploded bomblets left behind can kill and maim civilians. Banned by more than 120 nations, cluster munitions have been used in conflicts around the world, in Laos, Iraq, Sudan and Chechnya, among others. The UK, Spain and Germany have all spoken out against the decision, even as they support Ukraine without reservation. But these allies aren't going beyond words of disapproval. I think the German position to speak out against cluster munitions is still right, but we can't stab the U.S. in the back in the current situation. The U.S. is defending its decision by blaming Russia for using the bombs already and saying Ukraine is burning through ammunition quicker than the U.S. and Europe can produce it. This is about keeping Ukraine in the fight. You were just there. You talked to President Zelensky about the counteroffensive, and in some ways it's, it, it's not going as, um, as fast as he would like. 
U.S. President Joe Biden admitted it was a difficult decision. While not popular, Ukraine also argues cluster bombs are necessary to win the war. For more, France 24's international affairs commentator Douglas Herbert joins me on set now. Good morning, Doug. Good morning. Uh, so Biden's trip comes, uh, of course, amid widespread blowback uh, from allies on his administrations to provide Ukraine with cluster uh, munitions and how Washington and Kiev are justifying that. Yeah, well, first of all, uh, you're right. 123 countries have signed on to a now 15-year-old convention banning cluster munitions. And they did so because these aren't just any weapons. They're bombs that break into small bomblets, dispersed over a wide area of the battlefield, and also clearly uh, in areas where civilians after the war will be walking around. And they tend to linger there. And they can explode years later. They can maim, grievously harm, and kill civilians, which is why they have raised such ferocious objections from humanitarians, from human rights groups, and just ordinary people. Uh, the criticism against them, in a nutshell, is, look, just because Russia is accused of atrocities uh, such as rape, such as torture, such as executing civilians, among other war crimes, doesn't mean that Ukraine should stoop to the same level, that there should be some this issue of a just war, that there is a moral high ground and there is a benefit to retaining that moral high ground, which you will completely be deprived of if you start doing what your enemy does and using cluster munitions. So yes, has Russia been accused of using these massively since the beginning of the war, cluster bombs? Absolutely. Have they been accused of using them indiscriminately in civilian, heavily populated civilian areas? Yes, as well. Should, does Ukraine say it won't be doing that? Yes, it does say that. They say they'll be concentrating on areas, Russian-occupied territory, where there are troops, concentrated troop formations to flush them out of dug-in trenches. Now, moving on. All of those arguments aside, uh, what the allies are saying, and two-thirds of NATO allies have si signed on to this convention, are basically no. Take Spain. It says no to cluster munitions, yes to Ukraine's legitimate defense. Now, Ukraine, as you would surmise, will say that this is part of our legitimate defense. But other countries, Germany is taking a stance right now. They do not use or produce cluster munitions. They will not ship and supply others with cluster munitions. At the same time, its president said uh, in the past couple of days, it's not going to block the U.S. decision. It can't block the U.S. Now, the U.K. is taking a different position, basically saying <laughs> it does not use or produce, and it is not going to ship. And it hasn't said anything about where it stands with really respect to this U.S. decision. Uh, Canada dead set against it, a lot of other allies. Um, so there are a host of countries, including, I believe, Poland and Lithuania, who never signed on to the convention. These are the countries in the front lines uh, of Russia, have seen Russia's aggression. They are more inclined to give the nod to the U.S. decision to use cluster munitions. But it clearly has uh, caused a split among allies, among this broader philosophical debate, the moral, the ethical issues, the question of what is a just war? Is there is there such a thing as one side being more justified in using cluster munitions than another side if they're using them to different purposes. Those press reviews and report were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website, france24.com, as well as a YouTube channel called France 24 English and at most major podcast sites. On to Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. By a slim margin, the European Union Parliament passed a law called the Nature Restoration Law to help tackle climate change and restore biodiversity. 
The plan is to restore 20% of the land and sea to its natural state by 2030. It was strenuously opposed by large-scale farmers. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. The EU Parliament narrowly passed a law to help tackle climate change and restore biodiversity. It's called the Nature Restoration Law and aims to return 20% of land and sea to its natural state by 2030. Big farmers attempted to block the bill. Small farmers supported it. Here's a look at what it may mean for them and the climate. On Benjamin Franz's Market Garden Farm in East Germany, the focus lies on healthy soil. Here, fruit trees and various crops grow side by side. There's always one bad, one bad and the next bad. And in between always a little pathway. And it's not a, a big plot of corn or what, whatever you can imagine that you see uh, in our landscapes. It's some of this biodiversity that the European Commission wants to gear towards on bigger farms as part of a bill to stop ecosystem collapse. Its proposal for the EU nature restoration law plans to rehabilitate 20% of the bloc's land and sea areas by 2030. And that includes agricultural lands, which are often degraded. The bill would impose targets on its member states to rewet peatlands, huge carbon sinks that are sometimes drained for agricultural activities. It would also set goals to diversify landscape features, promote sustainable soil use and increase pollinators and farmland birds. Franz says he would welcome such targets, but he sees why it would be hard for big farms to implement them. We've done it here without the law, on our own, and it was a challenge. And if I imagine to do this tenfold or another scale, like it's, 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 it's a job that doesn't give you right away something back. Europe's largest farmer associations have protested the restoration law. They claim that it would reduce land for agricultural activity and threaten food supplies. But 6,000 scientists have signed an open letter that climate change and the loss of biodiversity are the real threats to food security. The German Farmers Association also says the bill relies on too many bans and doesn't offer enough support. Cooperative nature conservation means relying on voluntary measures, on incentives, because we have economic restrictions that have to be compensated for. The European Commission says that there are various funds to help farmers transition to more sustainable farming, and that it is crucial this happen now. For Franz, that would be a welcome change. If the areas surrounding his farm were restored, this would help his crops grow even better. Let's bring in Spela Bandel. She's a biodiversity project manager for Greenpeace in Central and Eastern Europe. Good to have you on the show. The EU lawmakers passed the nature restoration law by a razor-thin margin, an important step towards fulfilling the EU's Green Deal. But what needs to happen now? Well, on the one hand, the nature restoration law brings hope for Europe, uh, for Europe's nature, because it was not rejected. Uh, but it's on the other hand, the law comes at a very high cost. The European Parliament passed many amendments which could limit the actual effect of the law on biodiversity. And the law can only help to reverse the alarming state of nature in Europe if it's strengthened in its next steps. And that being the negotiations between European member states, the Parliament and the Commission. Of course, 
each member state will have as well opportunity to translate the objectives into ambition action uh, by preparing and carrying out national restoration plans. What do you say to those who argue that this law could undermine food security and fuel inflation? Well, um, although the state of European nature is very, it's quite dramatic with 80% of uh, nature uh, being in very poor condition, it, um, it's sad to see that members of European Parliament uh, don't feel the urgency to act upon that and they're actually spreading misinformation, uh, uh, many misinformation, um, such as that the law is a threat to food security. We all know that only healthy agricultural ecosystems provide food security in the future. So, um, yeah, those claims have been um, debunked many times, not only by the Commission and environmental NGOs, but also by a scientist community. How can the farmers, now fearing for their livelihood, be brought on board? Will financial aid be enough or is there more that needs to be done? Uh, I think that it's important for the farmers to realize that they have benefit on uh, in, with restoring nature, uh, not only because of the healthy uh, ecosystems bring uh, food, food for the future and that their future incomes are secure, but there are also many other environment, uh, economic incentives that the nature restoration law brings based on European Commission every euro invested in restoration brings uh, more than eight euros in economic value back. Shpela Bandel of Greenpeace, thank you so much. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, dw.com, as well as on YouTube at a channel called DW News and DW Documentary, also available at most podcast sites. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the internet like a long-term supporter in Willits. Many, many thanks. We will conclude with Radio Havana, Cuba. The United Nations Secretary General condemned the recent Israeli attacks on the Janine refugee camp in the occupied West Bank. Then a viewpoint on the presence of a U.S. nuclear submarine at the Guantanamo military base. Cubans are demanding that the base be returned to Cuba. Radio Havana, Cuba. Israel's United Nations ambassador has called on the United Nations Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, to retract his condemnation of Israeli forces for using excessive force and harming civilians during their devastating raid on the Jenin refugee camp in the occupied West Bank. United Nations Deputy Spokesperson Farhan Haq 
responded over the weekend, saying that Guterres had conveyed his views on Israel's operation in the Jenin refugee camp and, quote, he stands by those views. Guterres, angered by Israeli air attacks on Jenin and the danger posed to the civilian population, issued a statement on Thursday in which he said the assault had left over 100 civilians injured, uprooted thousands of residents, damaged schools and hospitals, and disrupted water and electricity networks. Quote, Israel's airstrikes and ground operations in a crowded refugee camp were the worst violence in the West Bank in many years, with a significant impact on civilians, Guterres intoned. The United Nations chief also criticized Israel for preventing the injured from receiving medical care and humanitarian workers from reaching those in need, this during the military raid, which left 12 Palestinians dead and approximately 100 wounded. In a statement on Wednesday, three independent human rights experts said, quote, The Israeli air attacks and ground actions in Jenin amount to egregious violations of international law and standards on the use of force and may constitute a war crime. The presence of an American nuclear submarine at the Guantanamo military base, a territory that was usurped from Cuba, reaffirms the reasons of Cuban citizens to demand its return. The permanence of the submersible was quickly and categorically rejected by the government of the Caribbean nation that considers it a provocative escalation with unknown political or strategic motives. For Cuba, the eruption of the vessel in the military enclave constitutes a serious challenge in the area declared a peace zone in 2014 by Salak, the community of Latin American Caribbean states. And worse still, the reaction of the United States government to Cuba's just rejection of the presence of the nuclear submarine at the Guantanamo base was marred by arrogance. The spokesman for the U.S. State Department, Matthew Miller, reiterated the Pentagon's statement that they will continue to fly, sail, and move military assets wherever they deem fit. With the same arrogance, they took hundreds of prisoners to a prison built on the Guantanamo base in 2002 during the so-called War Against Terrorism. Most of the inmates were not given trials. They lacked defense lawyers, and those who managed to get out reported being subjected to torture. The United Nations Special Rapporteur on Human Rights and Counterterrorism, Fionuala Ni Aulain, recently stated that the 30 remaining prisoners are subjected to cruel, inhuman, and degrading treatment. It seems that the United States only retains this enclave to house the prison and outrage Cuba's sovereign rights, because, as a statement said, its usefulness is reduced. Let's remember that Guantanamo Bay is added to the almost 70 prisons maintained by the Northern Power in the Western Hemisphere, which added to those installed in other latitudes make a total of more than 800. By far, the country with the most dangerous settlements of this type. The permanence of a nuclear submarine at the Guantanamo military base coincides with the hysteria of sectors in the United States in relation to what they call the presence of Chinese intelligence facilities in the country, which is categorically denied by both governments. No hysteria or display of force will make the Cubans desist from their just demand for the return of the Guantanamo enclave, the result of imposition and an affront to international law.
Those reports are from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu. There's no podcast, however. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140 and from 6 p.m. to midnight at either 606060 or 6165. At their website, you can stream the English version at noon, Monday through Friday, Pacific Daylight Saving Time. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people to listen to international broadcast, get a global perspective. You will have to look harder these days because of U.S. and E.U. prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 27th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. For 27 years, the shortwave report has been produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. While I am recuperating from spinal surgery, I am staying in a house that is connected to the grid. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.